I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hi, John. How are you today? I am doing great. I am actually up in New York State for the summer at the Fort Salem Theater in Salem, New York, where for the first time in 18 months, and it feels like so much longer, I am actually doing theater. That is terribly exciting. I I, I am giddy. It's it, it's we're not back to normal. And we don't know what that is yet, but it's nice to see that there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, it's interesting because there's a whole new set of precautions and guidelines. Um, The artistic director and I have both undergone COVID compliance officer training. And so there's a whole new skill set there. And there's a lot of temperature checks and there's a lot of masks and a lot of social distancing. But it's still theater. Like it's, it's new, it's exciting. It's a little scary, but at the end of the day, it's fun to actually be doing something again that we all love to do. It is really, really great to be able to make music again with people, even in these restricted ways that we are beginning to ease ourselves back into. So I'm really happy that you're able to do that. So this week for the beginning of season three, we're going to be talking about Come From Away. Music, Lyrics, and Book by Irene Sankoff and David Hine. Come From Away opened on March 12th of 2017 at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater, and as of this recording, is scheduled to resume performances in September of 2021. It has run for 1,251 performances so far, and hopefully many more. Come From Away is directed by Christopher Ashley, with music direction by Ian Eisendreth, and choreography by Kelly Devine. The original cast included Joel Hatch as Claude and others, Jen Colella as Beverly, Annette, and others, Gino Carr as Oz and others, Q Smith as Hannah and others, and Astrid Van Weeren as Beulah and others. Come From Away was nominated for seven Tony Awards and won the award for Best Direction of a Musical. It's the morning of September 11th, 2001, in the town of Gander, Newfoundland. The people of the small town are going about their normal morning routines when they learn of the terrorist attacks on the United States. As a result of the attacks, U.S. airspace is shut down, and the small town of Gander is suddenly going to be home to 38 international flights in need of somewhere to land. 7,000 people, plus their 19 animals and cargo, are now stuck in Gander, a town in no way prepared for its population to suddenly double. The people of Gander begin to do whatever they can to prepare to house their 7,000 plane people. When the planes land, the passengers are initially not allowed to disembark. They are stuck on the planes for 28 hours, and the passengers bond in the madness of being stuck on a tiny plane, 20 feet in the air, with nothing to do but worry about their families, wonder about what is going on, and drink the booze on board. Eventually, the passengers are allowed to disembark, 
in the middle of the night. Everyone wants to find a phone to be able to call their loved ones, but there are only a few pay phones, and the locals eventually say they are out of service so that they can get the passengers out of the airport. The plane people are loaded onto buses and shuttled to various locations throughout Gander and the neighboring communities. The people of Gander struggle to understand their new guests, many from a variety of nationalities, but they do their best to make them feel welcome. For the first time, the plain people are able to see what exactly has happened. As the news sinks in, phones are brought to them by the islanders to allow them to reach out to their families. The plain people are, at first, taken aback by the remarkable hospitality of the people of Gander. But eventually, the two groups begin to get more comfortable with each other, bonding over similarities in their families, faith, and humanity. While the plain people are made as comfortable as possible by the islanders, they now begin to get anxious as they wonder how long they will be stuck here. After their first night on the island, the plain people wake up to a massive amount of food prepared by their new hosts overnight. Time on the island passes and the two groups get more comfortable with each other. But with each passing hour, the plain people get more and more anxious about when, if, they will be able to return to their lives. People try to take their mind off of the horrible events by going out and drinking and spending time together. And through the scenes, we see how the events of the past few days have affected everyone. The pilot, Beverly Bass, comments about how this has changed her view of the world. A pair of strangers from one plane begin to form a romantic relationship while another couple is torn apart by the stress of everything. Throughout it all, the remarkable kindness of the people of Gander shines through, and eventually several of the plain people are made honorary Newfoundlanders. Finally, the U.S. airspace is opened up again, and the plain people are able to board their planes and depart Gander. Even this is not without its hiccups, as their first attempt to leave is delayed by a damaged aircraft. Newly minted prejudices are also revealed as a Muslim passenger is subject to a humiliating body search before they are allowed to board their flight back to the U.S. Everyone who returns to the U.S. is forced to face the sad new realities of a country that has become something different from what they left behind. Just as suddenly as they had all arrived, the plain people are gone and the people of Gander are left in a daze as they try to return to their normal lives knowing that they all have been changed forever by the events of the last few days. In spite of their refusal to take any money from the stranded passengers, they are shocked to find over $60,000 in a local donation box. A small token of gratitude from the passengers who owed so much to the people of Gander. The show ends 10 years later as the crew, passengers, and people of Gander reunite in the small town once more to celebrate the time they shared together and to honor the friendships they made while stuck in Newfoundland. Mayor Claude says, Tonight we honor what was lost, but we also commemorate what we found. So when we sit down to decide what we're going to talk about in this podcast, we do as best we can to try and balance the shows we pick from new shows and old shows and standard shows and just kind of give you a variety of material. And one of the things I am always looking for opportunities to do when we're picking shows is to uh, address shows that 
I know I should know, but just haven't given myself the time to learn. And this was one of those shows that had really been on my radar since 2017. And I just hadn't sat down and given the time yet. And I'm so glad that we are talking about it now because this is really a great show. I 100% agree with you. And it's interesting to think because, you know, so much of the Broadway vernacular is escaping life, kind of, you know, that, that cabaret-esque ideal of, of going away and being entertained for a while. And, and for some shows, you think a little bit more, some shows you think a little bit less, some shows you laugh, some shows you cry. Um, but this show is kind of the opposite of that. This show is very much in the ethos of art imitating life. It's, you know, a time capsule of sorts that we all, you know, we've all had the shared experience in some way, shape or form. And we'll get into that later. But I think the show is incredibly effective in, in replicating that, that feeling, that concept of just the confusion and, and just the fear and, and the unknown that just was happening. And it even started, you know, with the direction. Uh, one of the things you commented on when we were talking about this is how even down to the blocking of the show, the set, you know, the minimalistic set of the show, it's done with this idea that, you know, it's cramped and overcrowded and, you know, everyone just has this distinct lack of, of, of personal space. You know, this claustrophobia that definitely had to be present in Gander during the time. Yeah, well, I think that's especially highlighted in the scene uh, where they're stuck. The passengers are stuck in the plane for 28 hours. Uh, they they take you through a variety of different planes and they do this by kind of moving chairs around, but everything is always cramped and you can just, the, the frustration of the people really comes across brilliantly. I think we, we mentioned that this uh, musical won the Tony Award for Direction and I think that was a very deserving win there. It's also... Um, a great use of a small cast. You heard when John was mentioning the actors who played people, it was always so-and-so and so and others. And everyone in the cast is billed that way because they take this 12 person ensemble and they use them to represent the, you know, 14,000, no, 1400, 14,000, 14,000 people who were stuck in this small town and the neighboring communities in a really effective way. Well, and it, it's mind blowing that this show ended up being as effective as it was and, and really, really is a testament to Christopher Ashley's direction. Because, I mean, if you think about theater, you know, some of the Broadway theaters and, 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 and the show and field theater is maybe on the smaller end of, of various offerings that you can find on Broadway now. But they're all good sized stages. They're all good sized buildings. And to be able to accurately get that sense of just closeness and claustrophobia with 12 people is just fascinating to me. Like that, that really is a testament to the direction and makes the Tony Award just that much more deserving. One of the things that was interesting to me about this show as I was, you know, learning it and listening to it for the first time was the fact that it was done in one act. And we were talking before we started recording that the show initially was conceived as a two act show that they then decided to shrink 
to one act. And I think when you're listening to it, you can tell exactly where the act break would have been. It's where the big party scene comes to an end before uh, the pilot Beverly Bass's big solo number. And it makes sense that that would have been an act break. However, I can also see why they would have wanted to shrink things to just one act because admittedly the material after that point might not necessarily have been enough to make a full act out of. And it's interesting because in doing some quick research for this show, I came upon an article that had a brief interview with the producers. So as you said, the show was actually conceived as a two-act musical all the way back in 2013. So this is not even previews. This is in the actual original genesis of the show. And when new producers were brought in in 2014, they made the conscious decision to go from two acts to one. And their reasoning was that while this was actually happening in Gander, while the actual events were happening, the people didn't have a an opportunity to stop time and step out and, you know, really comment on what was going on. But because time is always ever moving and they were always in the moon and everything was always happening and moving forward, that they felt and they felt a one act structure conveyed that better. I'm of two minds of this. I under... In an, in, on an intellectual level, I get where they were going for, and I think intellectually they were fairly successful in portraying the, this constant motion, this constant just passage of time over these couple of days while, while all of these people were in Gander. But as you said, 100 minutes for one act is an extraordinarily long period of time, especially when you have subject material such as this, which is very emotionally charged on a personal level, on a societal level. It makes it very difficult to come up for air, so to speak, um, where you have, you know, those scenes in a show or, or, or in a two act show, you have the act break where people can just breathe for a second and digest and kind of take in what they've just saw, whether it was a comedy or a drama or a melodrama or whatever it, that act break gives you the opportunity to just process it. That doesn't happen in this show. And combining that with the time of the show. So one act show, hundred minutes, I understand that conventions are made to be broken, but this kind of Broadway convention of the two-act model, I don't know that it would have necessarily hurt the production of this show because it would have given them an opportunity to allow the audience to digest what they're seeing a little bit more. That being said, it's not ineffective in its current form. No, it's a, it's a very effective show. I, you know, I, I did say it, it feels a little long to me. And I want to give credit to the show because this is taking a very serious and intense and uh, atypical for a musical subject and turning it into a good musical. And they do a good job of respecting the, the seriousness of the moment and giving it good attention and intention while also weaving in some lighter bits to allow the characters, but also the audience to just get through this they do that in a good way but you know 
we've seen one act musicals that don't make you feel tired by the end. Like my mind immediately goes to band's visit. And one of the thing I think the band's visit did that um, come from away doesn't do so much is that we get a little bit more variety of musical tone in the band's visit. There are super intense upbeat numbers and then there are more introspective numbers and more calm numbers for being such a serious subject, uh, Come From Away's music is all pretty pedal to the metal and like not intense, but very lively. And for me, particularly as someone who approaches these shows from a musical perspective, it got tiring actually to listen to this intense music for 100 minutes. I agree. And I wonder on some level if part of that is to capture the, the the soundscape for lack of a better term of Newfoundland the music is is very folk in its nature in that regard um to its credit I think it, it pulls it off exceptionally well um I also wonder if its sameness in tone is to kind of foster this sense of positivity because I think especially whenever you're talking about any piece of art based on or connected to 9-11, it's incredibly easy to get dark. It's very easy to get into the moment of, you know, looking at the sense of loss, looking at the sense of destruction and, and kind of that just despair that was so pervasive in the weeks following. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would go as far as calling it forced, but I feel like the imposition of the style of music streamlines the audience's pathos, for lack of a better term, into a little bit more of the positive. It's about look at what you know. Look at what Gander is doing to help support these people. Look at these people as they try are trying to process this in a comfortable place with with a sense of understanding around them and maybe that makes it a little less true to life you know again going back to this concept of life or art imitating life that's maybe where the deviance is the most apparent and using you know for lack of a better term again the broadway conventions to help prevent the material from sinking into the maudlin sinking into the dark which could happen so incredibly easily yeah i mean i see what you're saying and certainly the music is modeled after the style of music that you would be likely to hear in gander and done so very successfully uh you know it just feels a little bit stuck to me like even the sort of big song for the the pilot beverly bass me in the sky it's a little bit more traditional broadway than the rest of the music from come from away mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel at all out of place it fits right into that style and i just feel like there were opportunities within this show to change the mood without making it dark or maudlin or you know utterly depressing that they didn't take. That's fair. And I can't argue with you on the, on any of that. I think it's a very valid criticism. You, you mentioned when, from your research about one to two act that actually the, the writers, Irene Sankoff and David Hine 
had a lot of material that they cut in going from two acts to one. I wonder if there wasn't more musical contrast in the two act version, because they did the music lyrics and book those two. Maybe there's stuff there that could have provided more contrast. One of the other things, and this is one of the, the tropes that we're always very fond of on this podcast, is this is a show that has the band on stage. But with a caveat, it one of the things you and I were talking about before was caveat is the band is on stage. The band like, like that's <laughs> it. That is that is the that is that is the beginning and end of it. There's very little integration. Um there the, so the band flanks the stage, extreme stage left, extreme stage right, and they're there. They're not particularly highlighted. I wouldn't even necessarily say the lighting design is in place to emphasize their presence. And with the exception of it's the party scene, is it not? Right. Where they where they come, you know, where you have them kind of come out and join in with the group. They're just they're just there. They, yes, we see them. And it, it, it almost feels like a, well, they didn't know what to do. Maybe they had the concept of they wanted them on stage for the, the party scene. But then it's like, well, what, what do we do with them after that? And it's like, well, we don't know. So let's just put them to the side. And it just, it was very half thought out. Like they're there, they're present, but they're underutilized to the point of almost being a distraction. For a show that is as well directed as Come From Away is, it was a little disappointing to to see that they made the choice to have the band be a part of the visible action, but left essentially as slightly moving scenery. Yeah, actually, that's a great way to put it. I, I agree with that 100%. Also, I will fully admit part of this could be from you know, the lens of we've had so many shows, especially around the same time as Come From Away. We've had, you know, the bands visit. We've had Bright Star. We've had so many other shows that have incorporated that band on stage, but also incorporated it into the scenery, into the scene work, in, you know, interaction with the cast. And, it, you know, when you have a bar set like that, when you don't meet that standard, then it just it it doesn't help let's let's put it that way it i don't know that it hurts the show per se but it definitely didn't help it yeah and you know what we got pits for a reason like uh, as a musician it's okay for us to just live in the dark dirty hole like sometimes it's fine it's yeah. nice when we can do more than that but you know what we're comfortable in the hole it's a safe space for us i think that one of the most profound takeaways from this show is that because 9-11 is so burned into our cultural zeitgeist, it, you know, it's, it's funny because our, our grandparents always talk about where were they when, when Pearl Harbor happened, our parents, you know, there was, you know, vivid recollections of where were you when JFK was assassinated in Dallas or, where, you know, where were you when Reagan was shot? And I really feel like, you know, 9-11 is, that's our generation. I mean, it is, I mean, it, we are 
20 years later. It's scary to think where it is the 20 year anniversary this year. And I can, I can tell you clarity moment by moment, exactly where I was that morning. Like before the first plane hit where I was, when I heard that the first plane had hit the towers, where I was in between where I was with this. Like I can, like, I can tell you my entire morning, 20 years later, where I was that morning. And what makes this show stand out again, and we touched on it a little bit earlier is how this show channels into those emotions, that fear, that, that terror that so many people felt on that day, but has the sophistication to, temper those emotions with humor and humanity to make it so that watching this show is not a traumatic event. It's not a painful event. It reminds me a lot of, and it's, you know, it's apocryphal because it's gone around on so many social media sites that I don't even know if this is true. And it, it pops up every six months or so. There's this meme that goes, um, it's, it's attributed to Mr. Rogers. And it's a saying that, in an emergency, in a crisis, in a disaster, you should always look for the people who are trying to help. You should always look for the firefighters and the police officers and the community members who are risking their lives to be rescuers. And that ultimately is what this show is to me. It is this this Mr. Rogers idea of us looking to the people of Gander of rescuers of these 7,000 people. And just through simple acts of kindness, through, you know, their words and their help made the 72 hours that these people were in Gander that much more bearable as everyone's life was, you know, completely upended and, and, and reality changed in that time. But the overwhelming humanity of the events, which are so well depicted in this show, is what makes it something to look back on and, and you know, that little glimmer of light, that little silver lining of the cloud and look back and say, okay, this was horrible, but we also were able to see this kindness. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's the 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 byline that they pull from all the press releases is that this show is a reminder of the good in humanity and the great things that we can accomplish when we come together and it really genuinely is like i mean it, it kind of sounds a little cliche but it is absolutely true what took place in these events these are true events was great it was a great demonstration of what humanity can be it also embraces the seriousness of what happened. And I think as well as any musical could possibly do, the show does a good job of pointing out the not good things that happened as well. In particular, the massive rise of Islamophobia that happened as a result of the attacks. There is one character from Egypt in the show and you see over the course of the show how they're treated changes because of what happened. And that's important for us to remember as well. Agreed. 
is there anything else you'd like to add about Come From Away? No, I feel like we've covered the subject quite succinctly. Well, with that pat on the back, welcome back for season three. We're looking forward to bringing you a great list of shows and discussions and interviews this, uh, I don't know, next few months. I have no idea what our timeline actually is. John does all the real logistical work. I just sit here and look pretty. Uh, if you haven't listened to Come From Away yet, you absolutely should. The Broadway, uh, well, there's only one recording because it's only been produced once. That's available anywhere you can find recordings. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to see it live soon. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.